Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Five minutes past 12 o'clock. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Spring is in the air. I just thought I'd say that in case you hadn't noticed, isn't it just glorious? Woohoo! You are tuned to 101.9 High FM. This, of course, is the DL Link Show. This is where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. I'm Nikki Severini, looking very forward to spending the next hour with you. So while we have a fantastically interesting show coming up, because we've heard NH NHI, 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 and I don't know what your response is to the change in the national health system, what's going to happen with private health, what's going to happen with public health. Uh, I had a chat with people the other day, and I said, you know, you can't always believe everything you're told. Now, I'm just saying that really just as a precursor to this, because our first guest, uh, Charlton, when we, we met while walking up the stairs to the studio, and he says, you know what, it's, there's a lot of misunderstanding, because I said a lot of controversy, and he said, no, no. A lot of misunderstanding. So we're not going to believe anything until we hear it from Charlton. And, um, you know, maybe you've got a whole lot of questions about it. I mean, this is the DL Link show. You are dealing with medical aids. You are dealing with expensive treatments. You would be concerned, as we all are, when it comes to this NHR, which I have to say I know very little about. So I'm looking very forward to talking to Charlton Murova in a moment. Um, he is the head of research at the Board of Healthcare funders of Southern Africa. Then we're going to be talking mindfulness. How's that? We've sort of touched on it every now and then. Um, I'm going to be giving away a ticket to my mindfulness workshop, which is happening on the 7th of September. And Leanne Jackson is coming into the studio to talk about the impact mindfulness has had on her life, if any at all. So if you're interested in mindfulness, take a listen to that. As I said, I'm giving away a ticket. And then, you know, um, the DL Link are always looking um, for ways to get people healthy, get people running, get people walking, get people cycling. Of course, it's part of a fundraiser, but always um, honoring, um, remembering warriors, honoring warriors now. Um, so the DL Link is, t- is looking to put a team together for the Discovery 947 Ride Joburg happening on the 17th of November at River Sands Commercial Park. It is going to be awesome. As I said, putting a team together and also by cycling with with Team DL Link, you're going to partner um, with them to continue servicing the community. At the moment, it's over 800 cancer warriors in our community that they are servicing. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not a heavy cyclist because you can do the long race. There's a shorter race that you can do as well. We're going to be promoting it. And I'm going to be um, talking to someone who is going to be taking part in the race, which in itself is just absolutely incredible because, boy, has he got a story to share. Um, he was done diagnosed with um, a very rare, the GBS syndrome, a few years ago. And um, he has started cycling, and he's going to be cycling in the 947 race, um, hopefully, this year. So very excited to have um, Howard in the studio, um, who's going to be sharing his story with us. And you can also get excited about taking part in the race. That's Howard Tucker coming on at the end of the show. So nine minutes past 12 o'clock. Let's take a quick break. And after the break, we're talking NHI. So we're going to be approaching this with an open mind. Stay with us. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back. So finally, we're talking about NHI. I don't know much about it. 
um, because there's so much different information, and I suppose uh, you know where you're coming from will determine how you see this. I have Charlton uh, Morove in the studio. He's the head of research, in-house specialized research unit of the Board of Healthcare Funders of Southern Africa. Charlton, welcome. Lovely to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, and um, yeah. Lovely show. So, you know, Charlton, I mean, living in South Africa, we've huge unemployment. We've got 58 million people in this country. Such a small percentage have access to health care. We often talk about diagnosis and early detection on this show. And we talk about going to rural areas where there is no way there's going to be early detection. You're looking at uh, advanced stages of cancer and things have to change. We talk about cancer. We talk about across the board in terms of healthcare, healthcare should be available to every member of society. Um, what we have at the moment is we have a private healthcare, we have the public healthcare, we know what's happening in public healthcare, we know we can go to hospitals, we know how short-staffed it is, we know the problems that it's facing, and then you move into private healthcare and everything is there. Having said that, many of the public um, facilities are world-class. I can just say it in terms of how many people... Uh, uh, how many professors, how many doctors we've had on the show who work in those facilities. But let's look at this NHI. Let's look at what it's going to be doing in South Africa. What are we asking of the public? What are we asking of medical aids? What is it going to look like, um, this NHI, Charleston? Yeah, yeah thank you for, for the question. And I think you have summarized where we are quite well. And uh, so to understand everything in context, let's first of all, dissect. We have the service provision side. We have NHI. NHI is about funding. NHI is just like one big medical scheme which will cover those who do not have private funding. So in principle, there's nothing wrong with having an NHI fund because why would you want to have people with medical scheme cover and those who are not covered? So NHI is a good thing. It's a positive thing. The whole world is going towards universal healthcare coverage. And then the issues of service provision, they are quite broad, and um, there are a lot of gaps, and there should be a lot of improvement there. And NHI, or having universal healthcare coverage, is one way of trying to address those challenges. Having the NHI fund on its own, though, does not fix issues, but it just provides you a platform to be able to redistribute resources well so that you can start fixing the, provi- the service provision side of things. So it's, it's just a fund. The NHI is just a fund. Yes. Okay. And when are you going to be – is it 2030 that, uh, that you're looking at uh, starting using this NHI properly? So NHI, when you introduce um, a big change to the health system like that, it's always done in stages. So the fund will be established as soon as the act is passed. Then it will grow incrementally. You will start having um, things like primary care being provided through the fund to the whole South African population. And then as it expands, the type of services that will be offered will grow. So the timelines that are given are almost like targets that they have set. If you look at the bill, it actually says it defines what full implementation of NHI is. And it includes a lot of steps which um, look at how services will actually be provided. So, So 
2026 is the target date. Okay. We don't know whether it will be fully implemented there or not. Uh, by the way, if you have any questions uh, for Charlton, you can SMS us on 34519. We'd love to hear from you, see what your thoughts are. Um, so, Charlton, let's, let's break this down a little bit. You're head of research. Yes. Judging by how our facilities, public facilities are being run, how things are run in South Africa, what do you think the success rate of an NHI is going to be in this country? Are we ready for it? Okay, so before I answer the question directly, I, I would like to say the message that has been going around um, in media has been NHI, we are not ready for it, it's, it's expensive, um, it will bankrupt the country. I would like to just pause and say if NHI fails, then then what? And my my personal view is the whole health system will crumble. So the message should really be about how do we make it NHI work. work. Um, then when it comes to implementing universal health care coverage, there's never a perfect time for it. Because I think if everything was working well, then why would you want an NHI fund? So it's actually an opportunity to start fixing things because of um, the benefits of having a single pool of fund. Um, and then in terms of the cost, I think I've said that it's implemented in an incremental way. So, But the taxpayer the, pays for it. The taxpayer is currently funding for healthcare. They are not going to start by increasing taxes. They're just going to start using the money that is available in the system better. What money is available? The money that's available for healthcare. Yes. But but what you're aiming for is to use the money that people would normally put towards a medical aid. Because we're going to go to what's going to happen to our medical aids, which are world class functioning public companies, and what's going to happen to them, their employees, <laughs> their funds. Because it's our money. You know, we earn this money. We pay tax on the money. This is our money, and we want to now invest it in a medical aid, and we should be able to do that if we want. But that's another thing. So what's going to happen is that you're going to start taxing us. And when are we going to start seeing those? And, and what kind of amounts are we going to be taxed on? So, so, so the tax, 2026 is not too far away, right? So that, so Around the, the corner. Yes. The, so the taxation, we currently are paying for taxes. Yeah. Uh, and the National Department of Health has an allocation which it gets from National Treasury, which goes on to find public health facilities. So it's that money which is first going to be allocated towards NHI before increasing taxes. And um, when the DG, Deputy DG was presenting, he actually said that when people start being taxed more, um, those who have uh, private health care, for instance, then the the benefits that they will be getting from their medical schemes will be reduced because the NHI fund will be covering that. So on the balance of things, um, the plan is not to actually increase the tax burden or how much people pay for NHI. We're just looking at the full amount which is spent on healthcare in public and in private and trying to make it work more efficiently okay. because there are a lot of inefficiencies. I think you mentioned that medical schemes are world-class, but um, it comes at a big cost. And my earlier question was, if NHI fails, then what? If you look at the numbers uh, on the medical schemes, the kind of increases that we have year to year, the declining um, level of cover from the schemes, 
I think it would be difficult to imagine them being sustainable in the next 10 years. Mm. So if NHI fails, the whole health system mm. is likely to fail because none of the two systems are sustainable. And the message really should be, how can we make NHI work so that we can have a better health system for all? Okay, that's a that's a very interesting point that you just because I I mean we, what we pay for private medical aid is an exorbitant amount of money. I'll never forget years ago when I was on another radio station when I first started on radio actually, and um, someone come came onto the radio and said, you know that one day you're going to be paying more for medical coverage than you will on a bond, and it was like, are you? crazy are you mad are you insane and so we as we said these incremental increases and it is a huge amount but having said all of that we then have access to private hospitals where we get the private with the correct uh, care we have just on this show we talk about um thank you we 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 have you know the the treatment involved with cancer the and sometimes you don't want to be waiting to have that operation you don't want to be waiting to have the chemotherapy as soon as you're looking at the nhi you're waiting you're on a waiting list so people are prepared to pay the premium because they can afford it so that they can have it so we're going to take a break charlton after the break let's talk about what is going to be happening to these um, these medical aid schemes and, and, and let's go forward with that. Thank okay, you. Okay. Right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Wow, a very interesting conversation we are having with Charlton Murave. He is the head of research at the Healthcare Funders of Southern Africa. He has done a lot of research. You're an actuary, am I correct? So, I mean, you know, you're crunching the numbers, um, looking at the NHI, and you're saying that the NHI is in- incredibly important in South Africa. We've got to give everybody equal opportunity to have healthcare, um, and that you're saying that if it doesn't work, the healthcare system is going to fail. So we should all be on board looking at ways to make it work. We should be on board looking at it, making suggestions, re-looking, changing, whatever it is. My concern is what is going to happen to the medical aid schemes that are up and running, that that are working, the whole system is working. What's going to happen there? Okay. So there will always be space for private health care. Uh, I think if you look at the world over where there is universal health care coverage, there are there is private funding for for healthcare. So when NHI be, is fully implemented, uh, schemes as it is uh, in the bill, they will be providing complementary cover, which are things that the NHI fund will not be covering. Uh, then, if beneficiaries of schemes, for instance, choose not to ag- abide by the referral pathways of the NHI fund then they can have schemes funding for that. Okay. So there will definitely be space for sorry, for schemes. Um they won't they won't be taken out. Uh-huh. Um and I think I want to latch on to what you said that uh we need to start working together to make NHI work. And we do have an opportunity with the bill. Um I encourage people to study that bill and actually see if that's the vehicle they would want to to have the NHI fund working in. Uh, it's open for comment, and we can try and make it better so that we have a sustainable NHI fund. Mm. I think it's not very helpful if we 
are still debating the issue of having NHI or not. But rather, let's look at that bill and see if it's Make got it the work. right, if, yeah, if it's got the right structures. So, how can people do that, Charlton? Where, where can they find this bill? Where can they make the comments? So, the bill is available on the National Department Health, um, Department of Health website. It will go through Parliament. It will go through the provinces, where people can actually comment on it. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is, let's have an NHI fund which will work for us. Uh, and we need to all come together to to start making that bill stronger and to provide a pathway for for this funding to work. Mm. Listen, in an ideal world, I think it would be absolutely brilliant. And I think that if we look at a lot of countries where you have, um, as you've said, universal health care, these are countries where you have citizens paying tax. You know, we have a, quite a unique situation in South Africa where you have 58 million people living in this country and you have an unemployment rate of 29% and you only have 7.6 million who are registered to pay tax. You know, if you look at the UK, everyone's paying tax. So, so the burden is on the taxpayer. This taxpayer is burdened, already overburdened because of the small percentage of people who are actually paying tax in this country. How, how are you going to work around that, Charlton? So, um, when you look at uh, health and education, I think it's, it should be look at, looked at in terms of capital development, mm-hmm. not as expenditure. Yeah. The more we spend on education and health, the more we develop our country. Absolutely. The more we increase the tax base. Yes. So it's, it's chicken and egg situation. Right. It's not about having a thriving economy, then you have proper health care. Rather, start with investing heavily in education and health, and then you can have a thriving economy. But the burden is on the taxpayer. It will still be on the taxpayer. It, it the actually, 7.6 million in a country of 58 yes, million. And, and it's so disproportionate. It's just... Yeah. And if we don't address things like education and NHI, that burden is going to increase. Okay, so you're saying we have to do something. It's an investment. It's only going to get, okay, so it's an investment. I hear that. Yes. It's a painful investment, but you say it's going to be worth it. So, but you can't help people feeling negative about it. You've just got to look at state institutions that have been run into the ground. We talk about the SABC. We talk about Sanwell. We talk about SAA. You know, they're not working, Charlton. Yes. Yeah, these are state run, um, um, organ, yes. companies. Organ- and, and they, they're being run into the ground. It's, it's, it's everyone's concern. It's also my concern. That's why my message today is let's look at that bill and make sure that okay. it's got the right governance structures. Even when the bill goes through parliament, when NHI is implemented, we need people to start holding people to account in terms okay. of how they will manage NHI. Because so you're saying be an active participant in this process? Yes. Okay. Be there. Uh, give your voice, let people know what you think about healthcare and how it should be structured. It is our healthcare mm-hmm. and we should be part of it. If we stand back and say no to NHI, I think we are dooming ourselves because okay. the health system as it stands it will be unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It cannot be sustained forever. Mm. Thank you, Charlton. Thank, Thank you, you for outlining those very important points. And I think the message that I've certainly taken away from this is it's inevitable. It is happening. Yes. It's an investment in the country. As yes. you said, the chicken and the egg. Yes. If we're providing health care to all South Africans, as you say, education is well, we're going to improve. Hopefully the burden will be on more South Africans, not on that small yes. minority, yes. but that we must play an role in this. We must not sit back and watch other people write the bill. We must be active participants in in the outcome of it. Yes, that's right. 
Charles, and thank you. It's no, been, thank it you. really has been illuminating. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Okay. Thank we really so appreciate it. Thank you. Charlton Morova is the head of research, the board, at the board of healthcare funders of Southern Africa. And very interesting. You know, we, we can be very, very complacent. I was talking to people just the other day about being careful about what you believe. Um, reading a book called Factfulness. What an, what an interesting book. And, and this researcher asks questions and says things like, like um, what is the unemployment rate in the world? Um, how many uh, females have access to education? What is the vaccination um, rate like around the world? Healthcare, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And most people get it wrong. Um, and we're looking at highly, highly intelligent people who are simply misinformed about the way of the world. And it's more about know what's happening, know the facts before you make decisions, before you go into fear, before you go into anger. Know the facts. From the small little areas in the life, the the, the micro to the macro, um, I think it's something that we really, really need to think about. Certainly in this country, let's be active participants. Let's go. Let's look at the bill. Let's discuss it. That we've, you know, we have the platform here on this show. You would be impacted. You going for treatment, looking at treatment, looking at the diagnosis. What would you want um, in terms of an NHI? Let's be open-minded. This is an inevitability. This is going to be happening. So I hope that you got something out of that interview. I absolutely did. And, you know, maybe your mind is racing all over the place, and I think it's a very good introduction to our next segment. I said we would be talking about mindfulness. And, um, you know, I wanted to just uh, think of a, a particular scenario. I was thinking of a scenario of myself. I was online, and I was filling in an application for my son to go to Benair Keva Camp, and that in itself was quite a stressful situation, filling in the details and going back. And I just thought, imagine, you know, imagine you've just dropped your child off. If you have a child, go with me. Imagine any situation, but you've just dropped someone off at school, and you, you're driving away, and uh, you look up, and you, you seeing the beautiful trees and you're noticing these green buds that have appeared and you're getting rather excited about the fact that winter's come to an end. You can feel the warmer weather. You can feel the sun on your body. You feel your body warming up. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And then all of a sudden something happens and you don't even notice that it's happening. Something invades. It kind of hijacks the present moment and you start to think, Oh, I must remember to make payment for camp when I get home or when I get to the office. And then all of a sudden you start to think about the fact that you also hadn't done the medical examination. And I wonder if my son has to go and have a tetanus injection. And and I hope he doesn't have to have a tetanus injection because he's actually terrified of needles. How will I know that's going to be so stressful? I wonder, okay, so I must have a look. And when I get home, I'll contact the doctor and then I must make the payment. But is camp dangerous? I mean, of dangerous things. And then you start to think of all the stories. You go back in time and think of all the stories that people shared about when their child went to camp and someone broke an an arm and someone broke this and this person got sick. And then you go into the future and think, well, if I'm on holiday, am I going to be there? If I'm not on holiday, am I going to be there? And then you start thinking about, should they go to camp? And you think about the part of the the, uh, form that you filled in when they asked about his mental health. And is he anxious? And will he be anxious? And am I going to be anxious? And then you go to a story that happened not so long ago about a child, terrible, terrible anxiety in our community. And you think about anxiety and you get anxious. And 
and you don't even realize that you've been robbed of the precious moment of driving in your car when just a few moments ago, moments ago, you were looking at the green buds on on the branches. And uh, if you just stop for a moment and you just think, what actually happened? What What invaded my conscious awareness? And it was just a thought. And this is what happens to us throughout the day. And the research tells us that it happens something like 47% of our day that we're just not aware. We're lost in thought. It's mind wandering. And just this little scenario that I played out for you, and I'm sure you can think of so many of your own scenarios. When you return to the present moment, you're more anxious. You're not as happy. And the research tells us that. So when we get lost in thought and we come back to this present moment, we are not as happy. And yet we are wired. This is what happens to our brain. It's a default mode network that is activated and, and we are lost in thought. So that's why it's so fascinating that a practice that's been around for thousands of years is making its way to people today and not people who are um, looking at a particular religion or a particular philosophy, but people who are subscribing to a philosophy of living in the now and managing stress and being open to the present moment. And so John Kabat-Zinn in uh, the United States 30 years ago started to look at stress and started to look at pain and started to look at illness. And, and he thought, well, if we introduce mindfulness, if we start to introduce meditation, can we work with pain? Can we um, get people to, to sit with the pain? Can we help people reduce stress? And because he's a doctor, over the last 30 years, they conducted experiment and research after research after research and the findings are unbelievable and so they see that people's brains are changing they see that people are being able are able to deal with stress people are able to modulate their own emotions people are um, able to be more in the moment less reactive and this is what what science is finding so you're probably asking for those of you who don't know what is mindfulness and I, I would go so far as to say you've experienced mindfulness. You know that moment when you have been completely immersed in the moment? Maybe you've been listening to a song and you just get sucked in to the music and to the voice and to the rhythm and everything else quietens and you're so in that moment. Or if you're running or if you're playing a game of tennis or if you're at gym and you're not, your mind isn't wandering, you are completely immersed in what you're doing. Or if you're cooking or if you're dancing or, or, or. It's that moment when you are so immersed in what you're doing, your focused brain is completely activated the default mode network is not activated at, at all you are in the moment that's mindfulness so you've experienced it but as we see you know 47 percent of the time we lose the magic of being in the, in the moment so all mindfulness is as as per john kabat-zinn it's being in the moment on purpose in the present moment without judgment and it's as simple as that. It's just your awareness in this moment. So more and more people are doing it. Armies are introducing it. Um, you know, they're helping. Mindfulness is helping with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mindfulness is helping even um, uh, snipers. They've done research on snipers and their ability to focus in such a way that there's no external um, uh, distraction. There's no internal distraction of thought. Um, people are using it in um, corporations all over. It's reducing 
facing stress levels. People are working harder. They're getting into the zone a lot easier. Schools, my goodness. More and more schools are introducing mindfulness and kids are thriving because they are learning to manage. They're learning, they're realizing that they are not their thoughts. Oh my goodness, I'm not an anxious child. I'm not anxious. I'm just having anxious thoughts and now I can observe it and I see that it's just a thought and as it passes, I feel so much better. And so people are using it in all areas of life and I really, really do think that mindfulness is the antidote to our stressful and overstimulated lives. So I'm passionate about it. I use it every single day. I teach it. I talk about it and I I invited Leanne Jackson onto the show today because she came to one of my workshops and as I said I'm giving away a ticket at the end of the show and she already arrived a very upbeat person um, and she was very open minded throughout the workshop and I, I just want to do, invite her onto the show and talk about what it is to be mindful because if we have the default of being lost in thought how do we break that so Leanne welcome, thank you for joining us thank you for having me and that was very patient of you, it was a hell of a long introduction, great, great to be here, thank you. Lee, you are a very upbeat kind of positive person, aren't you? I am. I'm not having to always be. It's, it takes a lot of work to get there, and we still, I mean, it's a, you don't think you ever perfect it, but what I learned from your course was absolutely amazing. And uh, for anyone listening, if you haven't, I c- cannot recommend it enough. Um, it's, there's so many things about mindfulness, and you know, there's a lot of things I've Try to practice over many, many years. Mm. And I think for everyone it's different because the minute people think mindfulness or, you know, to switch off your mind, automatically people think meditation. Mm. Now I know for a lot of people meditation is very, very hard. Yeah. Um, for me just to do meditation on my own is something I can't do. I need to go to a yoga to, for someone to actually facilitate in order for me to switch off that way. But what your course or what mindful teaches you is that there's so many different ways to be mindful. Right. And it's about finding the way that works for you. So, for example, for me, I spend a lot of time in my car driving, doing lifts. Um, it's so easy to be distracted. Firstly, that's the time where you think of everything about your day. You are always looking at the external world and people hooting, people getting upset, taxis doing, you know, overtaking. And that is the time that I know driving for me has always been my biggest stress. So for me, something simple that I do that actually makes driving a totally different experience where I totally switch off is I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to the news. I've got music Kabbalistic music, Hebrew music that absolutely uplifts my soul. Mm. So I can spend an hour in the car and I will replay these songs over and over again. And I know when I get out, I actually feel like a different person. Amazing. And I do it with my children. We listen to these, the music and it's, it's basically, it's recognizing that whatever's going on outside your car in the external world is how it's meant to be. You, you've, we, we've got no control over what goes on. The only thing we can control is our thoughts. And it's so important to try and switch off all the negative thoughts going through. Um, as I say, it's, it's really, really not easy, but it's finding the way of doing it. And for me, that's how I cope with going through and driving in my car and being in traffic and 
uh, being around, uh, you know, people that are, I mean, pe- people are angry at the moment mm. and people are stressed at the moment mm. and we see it every minute of the day. And so for me, that is just one of the, 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 the sides that I know has worked for me. You've become the observer of it. You're not yeah. sucked into it. Well, yes. You know, I also I say to my kids, like we'll be in the car and then someone is hooting and someone is swearing and someone's trying to overtake and my kids were getting aggravated. And eventually I said, but, but you know, this, this, this is going to happen every single day. We cannot change it. Why do you want something like that to affect your day? Mm-hmm. So why don't we wound down our window, hoot at that person, and let's actually smile and wave. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it just changes mm-hmm. your whole. Oh, it it's not, it's, it's not. You just, you cannot let anything that goes on outside control you or actually, because it does. It, it, it disturbs your day. Well, you know, it, it, when, you, when you're able to say that to your kids and you wave and you smile, mm-hmm. It's changing a mindset, but it's changing your physiology. Exactly. Your actual physiology mm-hmm. changes. The hormones in the system, you go from the adrenaline and the cortisol and being highly stressed to the dopamine um, yeah. and the serotonin. And you're doing that yeah. just by shifting that. Let's take a break after the break. I want to look at a perspective shift just, just in the traffic. So stay with us. And if you'd like to um, SMS us or contribute, 34519, we'd love to hear from you. Hi, FM 101.9. Megahertz of life. And thank you so much for staying with us. I'm Nikki Seberini, and this is the DL Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. We're talking mindfulness. Um, Leanne Jackson is in the studio. Leanne, what you said, um, you know, when you look at mindfulness, all mindfulness is bringing your attention on purpose into the present moment. So when the thoughts or the distractions come, you don't, so when they say non-judgmentally, it's if a thought comes, you don't get sucked into the thought. And what you said is absolutely right because there is a formal and there's an informal way of practicing mindfulness. So the informal way is what you're doing. You're driving in the car, you've got the music on, you're in the moment, you're not getting lost in thought. You know, people talk about a beginner's mind. It's and wonderful, like mindfulness eating, for example. So when you're sitting down and you're eating a meal, you're looking at your meal, you're looking at the colors, you're looking at the textures, you're smelling, you're so fully in it, you're asking yourself, how hungry am I? Am I hungry? Like, what am I in the mood for? And then you cut the one mouthful and you put it in your mouth and you taste it, you're aware of the different textures, you're aware of the sensation, the smell, the taste. As you chew it, you're aware that your teeth are coming together, that you're chewing it. You you think about, am I ready to swallow? And you swallow. And Listening now, you, you could think it's laborious, but it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. You start to eat mindfully, and when you eat mindfully, and you're in the moment when you're eating, you eat less. You you just will naturally eat more healthily because you're not unconscious. You're not just stuffing food down your throat because you're hungry. You're so aware of whether you're hungry or whether you're not. So that's another way of being mindful. Um, being mindful. This I love the 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 um, beginner's mind where you can bring a beginner's mind to everything and I remember when I first started to introduce beginner's mind into my everyday life and just asking the question imagine experiencing your child as if for the first time so you're not you're not seeing your child with all the judgments and the stories and the worries and the stresses that you plonk onto them every time you see them you're seeing them as if you're experiencing them for the first time 
how wonderful or your partner for the very first time and that's what mindfulness mm-hmm. does that is the that is the informal way of practicing mindfulness just bringing your awareness to the moment and of course the formal way is through meditation and Julianne said it's difficult for you mm-hmm. because you've got this active mind taking time and you know I just want to say that that mind that meditation is not about clearing the mind because it's not possible to clear the mind. Thoughts are always going to come. What you want to be doing is not engaging in the thoughts. So you notice, you may engage, but then you wake up from it and you bring yourself back to the present moment. So you were talking about traffic. And we can all relate to the stresses of being in the car and the, the traffic and the people and the hooting and we people are just simmering below the surface we know because how often do we read about road rage incidents how often are we in the car and we swear and our children are, are, are listening to this inappropriate behavior in the car I mean listen now it happens you know we're human it happens and I, I just wanted to talk about because Leanne mentioned you know saying to to your children well let's rather just put the window down and wave and say hello and how that changes the mindset and the whole physiology. And also what I wanted to bring in is do we know what other people are experiencing in that moment? Do we know why people are rushing? Do we know why people are, you know, maybe pushing in or doing whatever? So I have to share a story. Um, I had stopped at a very busy intersection. And the cars were going and going. And, you know, when there's a clearing, you just really have to pull out very, very quickly. And so I was turning left, and it was a double lane, and the man next to me was turning right. So he was in the way, so I had to edge forward as I'd look to the right to see if I could go. But he was in my way. So I edged forward a little bit more. And then he edged forward a little bit more. And I edged forward, and he edged forward. And I couldn't see, and he couldn't see, and... Eventually, I saw these hands moving, and he was screaming and gesticulating at me. And I put my pressed the button, and the window came down, and his window came down, and he was furious. He was screaming and he was shouting, and he said, "Could you stop moving forward? I can't see the oncoming traffic." And you know, in the past, I think I would have reacted. I would have shouted or called him a name or done something. But in the moment, I burst out laughing. I didn't laugh at him. I laughed at the situation because I thought, oh, my goodness, he thinks I'm his problem and I think he's my problem and we're both right. He can't see because I'm moving forward and I can't see because he's moving forward. And if we can just shift a perspective, if we can just try and see something from another person's point of view, it changes everything. But it requires being in the moment, right? It It requires being... Being mindful, it really does. You spoke about gratitude as well. I was just, yes. So that to me is also one of, one of the most important things that everyone should be bringing into their lives on many levels. So because I know when bad things happen and they do all the time, you know, we always moaning, you know, why does God do this to me? Why is it happening to me? But I always say to people that when things are going well, how many of us actually turn around to say thank you? Mm. Thank you to God for what that we appreciate it. So gratitude is something that, I mean, again, especially in the car, it's also a wonderful thing. Driving to school every morning with my children, we do gratitude. And what I've made them aware of is it's not just the normal things that you are grateful for every day, your family, whatever. 
Every day that we do it, we have to think about the day before. We have to think about every person we came into contact with the day before, mm. from the car guard who might have been friendly to the teller at Woolworths to to the security guard standing outside the school. Think of every little thing you went through that day. Did you go to gym that day? Well, you know what? What, what did you use for gym? I mean, thank God I've got legs. Thank God I've got arms. Thank God I can breathe. You know, I've got shoes. For me, it's my car. All the little things we take for granted. So every day to become aware of how much you're grateful mm. for. You know, again, it's, it's the same as anything with mindfulness. You can't just do it one day. Mindfulness has to become routine. Yeah. It's got to be done consistently because I say to people, just do it for one week. Every morning, you've got to find a time that it's going to be consistent every day. And I promise you, after that one week, you will see how it makes you feel. Um, I've, I've taught my children as well as, you know, wherever you, wherever we go. So when you do walk into Woolworths or you walk into a shop, is to greet every person and be friendly because it's amazing. Every, people have bad days and they're not, you know, you can't take personally how people are or how unfriendly are, but you can change your mindset. By being friendly, it changes your mood and as well as it changes the person on the other side. Mm. And that is being mindful everywhere you go of, of people, of every situation. And it, it's just, it just makes your day so much easier. It takes mm. that stress and that anger and that away. And Listen, you're hugely inspiring. You're a very mindful parent. You're a very conscious parent. Try. Um, yes, and try because you know we 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 can't always be that, and I think what's important is sometimes if we do fall off the wagon, if we do have a bad day, if we do react, if we do, just to get back on, just to get back on, it's okay. We had a bad day, and something else you said that yes, it needs to be practiced every day because we need to rewire the brain. The wonderful thing with neuroscience, modern neuroscience, is we learn that the brain can be wired and rewired, so it becomes a habit. To live out of gratitude, it becomes a habit to be in the present moment. And what happens is you start rewiring and reshaping the brain and the parts of the brain that modulate the emotions, that part of the brain expands. So you are less reactive. It's happening. You're conscious you're doing it with your kids and on, on your brain is rewiring. And also every time you think of gratitude, it stimulates the brain stem region. You've got dopamine. You've got serotonin moving through your body. You feel better. Others are feeling better but as you say Lee you have to just start doing it you've got to start somewhere you've just got to and start it's just somewhere. small steps yeah still small and steps. if it's just something like gratitude uh, uh, gratitude to me is the, one of the most important very things. powerful every day just start off doing 10 say 10 things that you're grateful mm, for love it and uh, it's amazing because when you do miss that one day for whatever reason you can actually feel how it actually affects oh. you. So it's, it's, it's a dopamine and serotonin absolutely. rush. I'm telling you now. It's amazing. Let's take a break. Lee, I, I wanted to say thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's an absolute How lovely pleasure. having you on the show. Well, You've been hugely inspiring. And as I say, all I do is recommend do Nikki's course. It was really, really oh, mind-blowing. Lee, I loved thank it. You. Oh, thank, thank you. But thank you for coming on to the show. No, thank you Giving great tips to, to our listeners. Leanne thank Jackson you. on 101.9 Hive in the DL Link Show. We're going to take a break. Then we're talking about the, the cycle race, the Discovery 947 race, and an inspiring story that goes with it. Stay with us. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
Welcome back to the DR Link Show, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Just a reminder, I'm giving away a ticket to my workshop on the 7th of September. So right near the end of the show, um, I'll be telling you what you can do to win that ticket. But as I mentioned, you know, on the 17th of November is the the Discovery 947 Ride Joburg um, race. And, of course, the DR Link is uh, taking part. And they are putting a great team together. And um, we've got some someone who's going to be taking part in that, but he's had an incredible journey along the way. So the fact that he's going to be riding in the race and that he's ridden in other races is incredible. Howard Tucker, welcome. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Nikki. Nice to be here. What is GBS syndrome? Uh, well, it stands for Guillain Barre syndrome. It's named after, I suppose, the doctors that uh, uh, discovered it. Um, it's essentially uh, autoimmune illness or an autoimmune reaction. So it's your immune system thinks that your nerves are, are back, the enemy, are the enemy yeah. and they attack your nerves. Correct. And, yeah. what, and so what happened to you, Howard? So in my case, uh, it developed after a bout of diarrhea. Um, and uh, the, the, the virus, what they say is the virus actually confuses your body. Yeah. And uh, so um, once your it attacks all your peripheral nerves and, and – it happens very, very quickly, and the result is, you could say, a temporary paralysis. That so must it's, be frightening. It's Yeah, it's extremely. For somebody who was very active, it was a very frightening experience. I, I was personally very, very lucky in that um, my lungs escaped uh, the attack. So thank God I never landed up on a ventilator. But most people actually land up on a ventilator for many, many months Helpless in a, in bed. So this GBS syndrome, is it curable? Is it something that you live with and you manage? How, how does that work? Well, I wouldn't call it curable. Let's, let's call it reversible. Okay. So what happens is they treat, uh, they treat you via, um, it's called plasmapheresis or else, uh, glomerulins, which are blood platelets that, um, uh, basically are, trying, uh, 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 Introduced intravenously over five days, it basically flushes your immune. So you get like a new, wow, new blood. Wow, really? And what that does is it stops the confusion. Mm-hmm. And once you stop, conf- once you stop that, you're able to start the recovery process. Now I watched a video where you were lying in hospital on that first night and the doctor said to you, don't worry about it because you may wake up and you, what, you won't be, ab- you may not see, you may not be able to breathe, you may not be able to move, but don't worry, we're here yeah. and we're looking after you. Yeah. I think I would have had a heart attack there and then, just hearing those words. Well, but you got through the night. Yeah. Incredible. Tell us. So that night, uh, you know, once you hear something like that, and uh, it was very, very scary, and I just thought to myself, there's no ways I'm going to be a statistic. Mm. And uh, what happened is I had kept the, the movement in my shoulders. So I stayed awake that whole night, like, flapping my shoulders, flapping my arms, basically. Really? And doing that to try and keep myself awake, concentrating on my breathing and watching the first of these gamma globulins actually going in. And I just thought to myself that if I manage to stay awake and I can breathe and I get a few of these treatments in, the confusion will slow down to a degree that it shouldn't hit my lungs. And, and of course, I didn't want to close my eyes in mm. case I couldn't, sure. couldn't, couldn't uh, see the next morning. So I just made sure I was awake 
for the for that first night. What a strong mind you have, Howard. Mm. Strong, strong mind. And and you've been you were always very active, as you say. And yeah. to have something like this, how long were you were you struck by it and what was the recovery process like for you? So every person is different mm. and you as I say, it's not really curable, it's reversible. Right. So uh in my case it's now five and a half years down the line. I'm still not fully recovered as such, uh, but I lead an absolutely normal life. So for me, it was the first first year really was quite acute. Uh Um, And I managed to, you know, get myself through... through walking with a walker, crutches, etc., to walking on my own, Unreal. and uh, learning how to use your, how to write with a pen again. My handwriting is probably worse than any doctor you've ever seen. But uh, <laughs> but you're learn, writing. Can't you're learn writing. to write again at yeah. fifty years old. <laughs> so so um, so you learn all these day these daily things again, and it's just a question of time. Hopefully, the remaining nerves of mine that haven't you know nerve recovery is very slow. So. The remaining nerves are the, the real extremes of your arms and legs that take probably longer. So, but you but you're taking part in the race. Sure, you are year. cycling. You are incredible. Every year, you are taking oh. part in the Discovery Nine Four Seven ride, and you're riding for Team Deal Link. Yeah, you're phenomenal. Thank you. How many people are you riding with? Well, I've got a a, a team of close friends that uh-huh. we always ride together, but. For me, this time of the year always presents us as my own personal challenge. Right. So it took me two years to be able to ride 94.7 again. It was my specific goal when I was first lying in hospital um, that I had to get my life back, my well, physical life back, and, and I had to ride 94.7. It was always this goal. And so for me, it's like the world championships every year. Oh, and, uh, you get so to do it year in year out. Good for you. And yeah. why with the DL link? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you know, if you haven't experienced any kind of illness or any kind of hardship like this, okay, um, it's very hard to actually explain to anybody. And uh, so, you know, for me, um, I always felt I wanted to ride for for some cause every year. And uh, DL Link totally fits the picture. I mean, what, uh, uh, you know, what it's... Not only cancer, any kind of autoimmune illness, you know, the whole family of, of horrific illnesses out there, people can get through it. And I just want to help people, show people that uh, you can get through it and you can do things like ride 94.7 again. Amazing, Howard. Howard oh. Tucker, thank you so much for joining us. You are a hero. Enjoy the race. And you. Uh, you too can join Team DL Link. That is the 947 Ride Joburg happening on Sunday, the 17th of November. Be a part of it. Um, we, um, You can give them a call on 011-485-3269. Also, if you'd like to come along to my mindfulness meditation workshop happening on the 7th, Saturday, the 7th of September, quickly SMS me now your name and my Mindfulness. First one will get the ticket. Three four five one nine. Three four five one nine. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I certainly have, and I look forward to being with you same time next week. From me, Nikki Seberini. Goodbye.